The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am so happy you're here. Happiness Solved is dedicated to giving you content that is empowering, motivational, inspirational, and of course, a dose of happiness. It's my way to give back to the world and share other people's stories and wisdom. This thing called life can be challenging, and the stories that that are shared demonstrate that no matter what you have gone through, you can choose happiness. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to talk to you about shifting your perspective. This is so important because there are so many things that frustrate us or stress us out, and if we were able to shift our perspective of the situation, we would be so much happier. You see, we all have our own perspective which is the way we view the world. It's like the lens in which we see things. When we shift our perspective, it changes our perception of life. Our perception is the way we think about or understand someone or something, and it is also what we understand or interpret from our five senses. However, our perception is shaped by our past experiences, feelings, and thoughts. Think of it as looking at the glass half full or half empty. In short, when we change our perspective, it changes our perception, which in turn changes our beliefs and ultimately changes our reality. So change your perspective, change your life. It sounds simple, yet it can be very challenging for some to actually achieve. If you would like to learn more about this topic and how to work with me personally, please visit sandyscarlotta.com to schedule a free 15-minute call with me and to get access to a free digital copy of my book, Happiness Solved. I also invite you to join my growing community by texting me at 703-420-3472 to receive daily inspirational messages. Again, that number is 703-420-3472. Thank you for listening today, and I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Today's guest is Scott Crabtree. Scott helps people apply science to thrive at work. After earning a degree in cognitive science from Vassar College, he went on to lead the design and development of video games and other software. He discovered the science of thriving, meaning positive psychology and other brain sciences, in 2003 and immediately became a passionate student and teacher of that research. He resigned his senior leadership position at Intel in 2011 and found founded the company Happy Brain Science. This is such a great interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Wow. 
Hello, Scott. How are you today? It's so great to see you. I'm great, and I'm happy to be with you, Sandy. Thank you. Oh, we're both happy. We both are in that line of happiness. That's awesome. I love it. Right. I love it. So I always like to start each episode with, you know, everybody has a story. How did you get to this point? Because we all have a story of, of why we're doing what we're doing right now. So how did you get here? Yeah. It's, I'll try to spare you some of the gory details. I, for those watching and able to see me, I obviously enjoy some white privilege and some male privilege. And I know that I've had things easier than some others in my life. But that said, my childhood was not exactly a walk in the park. Uh, bizarre di divorce, bless my parents who decided to split the custody of the kids. I had a sibling with mental illness. Things were not super easy. I struggled with depression at times. Got better, and long story short, was working at Intel when my wife walked into a bookstore in Portland, Oregon. And I happened to see this book I'm holding up for people who can see us, The How of Happiness by Sonia Lubomirsky, was sideways in the bookstore. I wasn't looking for anything in particular. I just almost literally stumbled into this book. And I picked it up, and on the on the book, on the back of the book was a review for from Harvard professor Daniel Gilbert, who I had run into before through his book, Stumbling on Happiness. And Harvard professor Daniel Gilbert said, unlike every other book on happiness, this was, is based on experimental data and will work. And I thought, good enough for Harvard professor, good enough for me. So I bought and read The How of Happiness, and it was my introduction to the fact that there is a real, solid, peer-reviewed science of choices we can make to lead to more happiness in our lives. And if we do that, our brains will fundamentally work better. We will be more creative, resilient, productive, successful, and more. And as if those weren't enough benefits, happier people are also healthier people. They show up in the emergency room less often. They show up at work more often. And happier people live longer. I thought, I want to be all of this. I want to do all of this. I want to enjoy all these benefits. And about three seconds later, I thought, you're not going to do that, Scott. You're going to forget 96% of this in six months, the way we forget most of what we learn in a few months. So I thought, wait, this is really important to me. How can I not forget this stuff? So I happen to be the kid of two teachers. And so I thought, if you really want to learn something, you should teach it. So I started volunteering at game developers conferences because I come from video game development and at Intel conferences, software conferences, I started volunteering to give talks like the science of happiness in video game development and conferences <laughs> kept saying yes. So I kept saying, great, I will buy more books and read more studies and learn as much as I can and put together these presentations on the science of happiness. And that experience essentially went viral in a non-internet kind of way. So I kept having people ask me to do it for another group. And I had a perfectly fine career up to this point, but I never had people stopping me in the hallway going, dude, that thing you did a couple of weeks ago has changed how I'm dealing with my teenage daughter as well as my team, and things are much better. Thank you. It's like, whoa, I'm really onto something here that's working for me and working for them. So in early 2012, almost exactly 10 years ago. I walked away from Intel full-time and I've been teaching the science of happiness every day, every working day since. That's a great story. I love it. So when you say 
you left Intel. Was that the company Intel? Yes. I spent six plus years at Intel. I was a senior leader at Intel. And uh, as, as a reflection of how much I wanted to pursue my passion for the science of happiness, I left at six and a third years. You get an eight week paid sabbatical at seven years. So people thought I was absolutely crazy to walk away right before earning a paid sabbatical. But I was like, I'm not going to stay here for another eight months doing something I don't adore so that I can get paid to not do it for eight more weeks. I'm just going to do what I love right now. And I do not (laughs) regret that choice at all. I do like that logic, although I'm sure a lot of people thought you were a little wacko to to walk away from that. Wow. (laughs) A seven week, you know, to get paid for that much time off. Wow. I know. It's a great benefit. But that's also a testament. It's a testament for your passion for your work. And that, that certainly says a lot. Thank you. That certainly says a lot. So what, you know, let's go back to when you were a child, you you said that your parents split the family up. What was that like? So, so, um, love you, mom. Love you, mom and dad, if you're listening to this. Uh, but this was a strange choice I've not heard of, uh, since or before. So I had three siblings at the time, so four kids, and my parents decided, okay, my two older brothers would go with my dad, and my younger sister and I would go with my mom. Now, we lived in the same town. We spent every weekend together, but they split the custody of the kids. So it's it's interesting. I was listening to some of your guests you've had on before me, and several of them talked about everything happens for a reason, or or things that happened to me, they, they ended up having this positive effect, right? right? And I think that's that's true for me as well, right? So my one of my passions is a team that works well together and stays together. Why do I have such a passion for teams that stay together and work well together? <laughs> because in my childhood, my team, so to speak, got ripped apart in two. And anyone who's worked more than a few years has probably been through a reorg or some other painful change in how the team is put together, or virtually all of us have experienced problematic teams where people are not getting along. So pain (laughs) develops passion for things being better than that in the future. And I like to think people tell me that I have a positive effect on teams working well and staying together. That's awesome. Yeah, I had a guest once um, who said, this you will see that it doesn't didn't happen to you it happened for you mm-hmm. and that's exactly. a hard concept for some to to get their wrap their minds around um especially in very um very severe situations for example yeah. i work with a team of girls in kenya mm. and they've all are teenage moms and most of them were raped mm. And we spend, I work with them every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time because it's like 5 p.m. in Kenya there. Um, and we spend a lot of time on that because it's such a, a big thing that it's hard for them to understand, well, how can I possibly forgive this person that did this to me? Yes. And, and look, yeah. I will never understand what it's like to be a teenager in Kenya who's been raped. And that exactly. Is I, and clear, I said right? the same thing so, to them. Yeah. So zero, like, oh, they should just do this from me, right? Nope. But as always, I try to ground everything I do in science and data and not my opinion. And the science is clear. Those who forgive end up happier. Those who end up happier 
end up more successful, healthier, live longer. So look, I don't know if I could forgive a rapist, right? I'm not telling anyone they should or shouldn't do anything. What I'm reminding people is the science says if we can somehow find our way to forgiveness, we end up happier. Right. It's so, so true because I know in my own journey, the forgiveness, it was something that I had to work on every minute of every day in certain situations, you know, depending on the thing. And then, and then sometimes it can just take a couple of weeks and I'm over it, you know, and I, and I, and that, that bitterness is gone. Yep. And for me, it's like, I check in with myself. um, And if there's, if I'm feeling anything but peace in my heart, then I know that there's something or someone, even myself that I need to forgive. Yeah. I struggle with this, to be honest, just because I know what the science says doesn't mean I'm good at doing all of it, right? Right, of course. <laughs> we, happen to, we happen to have the Olympics going on as we record yep. this, and I consider myself an Olympic-level grudge holder, right? So I'm not proud of this, but I'm working on it because I know the science is, is true. And somebody wiser than me said, trying to punish somebody by holding a grudge is like trying to kill somebody by taking poison. The only person who really suffers is us. So I, I've worked on this a fair bit. And one of the things that helped me a lot was to, was to read through work about how forgiveness is not a single event. It's not a binary, you've forgiven or you haven't. So I used to feel like I was trying to push a big rock up a hill to forgive someone. And I'd get most of the way up the hill and then I'd feel resentment or bitterness. And it'd be like, oh, the rock just rolled down to the bottom. Screw it, I'm never gonna be able to forgive them. And then I came to understand forgiveness is much more like a a big pile of small stones than it is one giant rock. And there are moments where we can forgive and moments we can understand they were probably struggling with something and moments that we can say, well, we all make mistakes. And moments where we sometimes put a rock back and say, yeah, but they shouldn't have done it. Okay, but let's move that rock back to eventually. And it's a process. I I don't know what people think of us in the happiness business. And sometimes I think people picture my car bumper or my refrigerator at home filled with teddy bears taking hot air balloon rides under rainbows. And it's not like that on my fridge, right? (laughs) But I got myself a fridge magnet because I do struggle to forgive and I know the value in doing so. And the fridge magnet says, let go or get dragged. Mm, nice. I like that. I like that a lot. And and it's true. And and I'm I'm so glad to hear you say that, you know, you you're the an Olympian for holding grudges or whatever, only because we are real people. And as a happiness coach, mindset coach, and you're in the happiness business too, people do think that everything is, you know perfect and shiny. And it's not, it's not. I mean, we all have our moments. We all, oh no. And, and look, life is hard, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know this, I, I read some of your story, a key message every time I do a happiness workshop and I'm, I'm blessed with name droppy worthy clients like DreamWorks and Boeing and many others. When I, when I do a happiness session or a series, I regularly stress the point and especially in the beginning This is not about trying to be blissed out all the time. In -mm. fact, being obsessed with happiness is a good way to end up unhappy. Yes. Scientists like to coin words. A word they've been using recently is emodiversity, which gets at the fact that those who experience all of life's emotions actually end up thriving the most in the end. So look, guilt can 
for example, alert us that we violated our own moral code and get us to behave better next time. Anger can get us to take action to make the world a better place. So those unpleasant emotions are not bad unless we get stuck in them in some unproductive way. Those unpleasant emotions are normal, natural, healthy, and even helpful. And for happiness teachers like us, coaches like us, it's not constant bliss, right? There's unhappiness in every life. There's sexism and racism and pandemics and pollution and all kinds of problems. And when bad things happen to good people, the appropriate response is to feel bad. The question is, given that life is hard, given that we will face inevitable challenges, are there choices we can make to find a bit more happiness wherever we are? And science says, yeah, we can find and make those choices to find at least a bit more happiness. Yes, absolutely. And, and I just to reiterate what you just said is so true. It's okay to feel them. And I, I always encourage people, you have to feel those feelings. Yes. You have to feel the anger, the pain, the, you know, anything like that, because it's the only way, you know, you're going to be able to get to the other side, number one. But number two, if you don't deal with those, it's just going to come back to bite you. Because yes. if you don't deal with it, it's eventually going to surface in, yeah. in bad ways. We both know the research. So trying to suppress negative emotions does not work. It's a no. fool's errand. Very, very much so. So so talk a little about what you're doing today, because I know you've got some interesting projects you're working on. I am, created something to share I, as well. I am, a, I am a lucky man, Sandy. I get to work with these amazing organizations, large and small, by the way. So National Park Service, but also tiny nonprofits you've never heard of. And I do a variety of workshops. So I started with Science of Happiness. I then worked on employee engagement, psychological safety, strengths, memory. Basically, if there's a science of how we can get good stuff from our brain at work, I'm interested in learning it and teaching it. So I do a variety of workshops. I also, like you, I'm a coach. I love coaching, the deep connection you get with an executive or anybody else. You get to know them and trust them and they trust you and you develop this intimacy in a, in a special relationship. The way I put it to coaching clients is, look, it doesn't have to be me, but you should get a coach because it's the only time I can think of with the possible exception of, of mental health counseling, and I am not a mental health professional, I'm very clear about that, but it's coaching is the only time outside of counseling, perhaps, where someone is completely focused on you and helping you without any vested interest, right? Our spouses care about us, but they're biased. Their, their lives are impacted by ours, right? Our friends want to stay friends with us, so they might not, might not point out that we're being jerks when we're being jerks. A coach is, coaching is an amazing relationship, as you know, so I love the coaching work I do both individual and in groups. And then, as I mentioned, I come from a game background. So I have a card game called Choose Happiness at Work, and I am currently developing that into a video game called Choose Happiness at Work Online. So I love to gamify my workshops and gamify the, the discovery and learning and application of the science of thriving at work. I love it. So is, is, the, is the actual game available for purchase? Absolutely. The game is available on my site, happybrainscience.com, or on Amazon, at least in the U.S. Uh, the card game is. The video game, 
people should contact me for early beta playtest access through my site, happybrainscience.com, because it is not released yet. I'm in the playtesting stage, and it's going well. So hopefully in the next few months I'll be releasing a video game, but uh, for now it's private access. Wow, that's pretty cool. It's fun. It's, you know, everybody has a book, <laughs> or every, you know, almost everyone has a book. I thought... I mean, I do have a book. <laughs> I also have a book. Uh, but everybody has a book. And I thought, why not bring what's unique about my background to this world of, of happiness yeah. at work? So, so I games are a fantastic way to teach and learn and grow. And especially if you do it with colleagues, that, that's actually what my book, All Work and Some Play, is about, is the benefits of playing games with colleagues because they teach you these soft skills, which are actually the hard part of work, right? Most people yes. would happily tackle a dozen technical problems before they try to tackle why Cindy is disengaged or they're not working with Juan the way they used to be. So I love games in the way that they engage people and they give us a safe place to take risks and be ourselves. And it's just a game. So we do things that we wouldn't do in normal work situations and we can learn more about each other and learn more from the game than we can doing real work together. That's awesome. I love it. It's really fantastic. So is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience today before we wrap up? I would just like to share that there is a lot more science of happiness than we have the time to talk about. So I have a bunch of free resources on my site, happybrainscience.com. One of them is my recommended reading list, which has my review of The How of Happiness and, and many other books on the brain at work. So there's so much more than we had to talk about. Let me just give a few little teasers. And, and I realize you may cover some of this with other guests, but okay. when I present on The Science of Happiness, few few key themes that I have. One is subdue stress. Boy, if the past couple of years haven't proven that life is stressful, I don't know what will right now. Everyone's had a different pandemic experience, but it has not been easy for most people for a few years. So as we were saying earlier, stress is inevitable. Science says what's crucial is how we cope with it. So we can reframe stress into a useful source of energy, and we can cope effectively with things like exercise, talking with people, and one of my personal favorites, mindfulness. Second theme is practice positivity. Positive attitude may sound corny. People may roll their eyes when they hear that you and I are happiness coaches, but the <laughs> evidence is clear. Positive attitude works. I'm not about toxic positivity. I'm not about denying hard things as we already talked about, but when possible, can you find that gratitude? Can you find the upside of bad things that have happened to you? Can you find a way to see the best in each other? May perhaps especially important. Third theme is highly relevant to the pandemic and the tough times we've been, been in, and that is flow. So for those who don't know what I'm talking about, flow is that zone where everything is clicking for you because you're completely immersed in something challenging but possible. So playing a musical instrument, really focusing on your podcast interview or your computer programming or whatever it is you do that challenges you. When you can focus completely for 20 minutes or more and minimize multitasking, which really is a myth. We cannot pay attention to do things effectively at the same time. 
when we can focus and get into that zone called flow, it is an extremely productive, happy state of mind. And new research, the research on flow is decades old. It's part of where positive psychology, the science of what's right with us, started. But new studies have come out during the pandemic showing that flow is especially helpful during tough times like these. We can't always make the world a better place. We can escape into our own productive world of challenge and effort and work. And finally, and most importantly, revitalize relationships. That Harvard professor, Professor Daniel Gilbert that I mentioned earlier, he said, if you had to boil all the science of happiness down to one word, and I'm glad we don't or I'd be out of a job, but if we had to boil it down to one word, that word would be social. The late great Chris Peterson, also a positive psychology researcher, summarized all the research as other people matter. More than anything else, the biggest factor on our well-being, our happiness and thriving is the quality of our relationships with other people. So if your listeners don't do anything else, I hope that they will, pretty pleased with sugar on top, consider investing in the quality of their relationships with other people. Yes, I love that. Scott, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and the difference that you're making in the world. It's really amazing. And it's been Thank so you, great Sandy. to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for giving me a chance to spread some science of happiness. You know, I, I love, love doing it. it. And you keep up the good happiness work as well. Thanks, Scott. Take care. That was such a great interview with Scott Crabtree. I uh, love talking to other people that are speaking my language, as I always say. But you can find out more about him at his website, which is happybrainscience.com. And that'll also be in the show notes. To learn more about me, please visit my website at www.sandyscarlotta.com. So thank you so much for joining me today. And as always, I hope that you and your family stay safe and healthy and that your lives are filled with peace, joy, and an abundance of happiness. Take care, everyone.